The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, we are nearing our end of the Sermon on the Mount. we got a couple of weeks left, and then we'll dive into about four weeks in the parables before we spend our fall looking at spiritual disciplines, these habits of grace where we grow in Christ together. Really appreciate the work that Dave and Tim have done as they've taught us as well this uh, spring and summer. Really grateful for Dave last week, Tim a couple of weeks ago, teaching us about not judging lest we be judged, and then Dave really challenging us to pray to the God who gives good gifts. Um, speaking of Tim, we want to stop just a moment and pray for the Cartwrights. Many of you know the Cartwrights got to this week tragic news that their 25-year-old nephew uh, had passed away in a car wreck. So we want to just stop right now and lift up the Cartwright family. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, we thank you for Tim and Candace. We thank you for their kids, and God, we pray for your help for them right now. We pray for your help for their extended family. God, we pray that your mercy would be new to them today, that your comfort, your strength, and your peace would be so real, God, as they grieve this awful tragedy. God, would you be with them? Would they know your presence in ways perhaps they've never known before to walk them through such a sad season? Give comfort and help to their family. And help us today, God, as we look at this scripture that tells us to do to others what we wish that they would do to us. It calls us to something beyond ourselves. God, we're not able to do naturally, and so we need you. We need you to soften our hearts and open our eyes and give us ears to hear that we might see and follow and believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read Matthew seven twelve through 14. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them... For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus is talking to people about the way of life Today, but he's really been talking about that throughout this sermon. Our text today starts with, so, so whatever you wish others would do to you. That word so, in the Greek it's soon, it's the same word as therefore. When you see therefore, we ask, right, what is that therefore? And we look back. Because you're the children of a God who gives good gifts and knows what you need before he asks, before you ask, because he says to ask and seek and knock. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. Because you ought to take the plank out of your eye before you talk to your brother about the speck in his eye, treat others the way you want to be treated because there is a way of life in Jesus that takes care of you so that you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Treat others the way you want to be treated because there's treasure in heaven. 
for you. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. See, Matthew 7, 12 through 14 is the end of the body and the beginning of the conclusion of this 16-minute sermon that Jesus preached. Matthew 7, 12 is a bookend on the end of the sermon where the body closes. Matthew 13 and 14 begin the conclusion where Jesus is going to talk about two ways and two sorts of trees and two sorts of people and two builders and two foundations. But Matthew 7, 12 says, treat others the way you want to be treated for this is the law and the prophets. Well, Jesus, after introing with this poem that is the Beatitudes, begins the the sermon with this thesis, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a dot, not an iota of this law will pass away until all is accomplished. So Jesus has this great, high, and beautiful view of the law. He loved the word of God. He came to fulfill the word of God. So if somebody's talking to you about Jesus but rejects the scripture, they're not understanding really who he is. And he is calling to himself a people who will see him, know him, and be like him. And to this people, he says, whatever you wish others would do for you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. And we call it the golden rule. We were talking about how people get this wrong in staff. Some people say the golden rule is this. You do unto others before they do unto you, right? The golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules. Well, the golden rule wasn't called the golden rule in the first century. It's not a term that Jesus gave to it. Actually, Shannon sent me a link to a talk on, on this, and in it, Jean-Marc Comer talks about this guy named Alexander Severus. He was in the Roman Empire. He was emperor. He was not a believer as far as we know, but the saying had grown so much, even in a century, that Alexander Severus had it put on his wall in gold. And so it came to be known as the golden rule. Because of that, ethicists have now identified kind of a wooden rule that most people live like. I'll treat you like you treat me. You compliment me, I'll compliment you. You say something rude about me, I'll hate you forever, right? It's like toddlers. Well, then there's the silver rule. And the silver rule is kind of this, ethicists say, what, whatever you wish people wouldn't do to you, don't do to them, Right? I don't want anybody to murder me. I won't murder anyone. I don't want my spouse to cheat on me. I won't cheat on them. I don't want people to steal from me. I won't steal from them. But Jesus is calling his people in the first century and calling his people today to something much greater and it's risky. Whatever you wish others would do to you, you do the very same thing to them. Well, what if I treat them that way and then they don't treat me in kind? What if I do to others what I wish they would do to me and then they treat me horribly? I promise that'll never happen, right? <laughs> it's risky to lay your life down for others, not knowing how they're going to respond. But it is exactly what Jesus calls us to. And Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. I can't imagine being one of those people who's listening to him when he begins the sermon by saying, your righteousness has to exceed 
the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. The law really matters to me, and your righteousness has to be better than all these law keepers. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they had taken the Ten Commandments and then what followed in Exodus 20 through 24, and they had expanded it to 613 laws. So the people might be sitting there going, my goodness, how many laws is he going to give us? And the answer is one. Treat others the way that you wish they would treat you. This is the law and the prophets. For human relationships, this is how you carry out what the Old Testament calls you to. See, the whole Old Testament, it finds its meaning in Jesus. It's been pointing to Jesus. He says he's the fulfillment of it. And then he's calling his people to flesh out what it called God's people to do. God said to Israel, you're going to be my treasured possession out of all the peoples of the earth. And he called them to be a light to the nations and they failed at their vocation. But Jesus is the king who is fulfilling that vocation. And he says, hey, my people, you're going to look different than all the peoples in the world. The whole Word of God is the outworking of these ideas of loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbors as ourself. And see, Jesus' vision of what it means to love others radically confronts every one of the world's visions of what it means. Confucius and Immanuel Kant, they, they said, yeah, however you don't want to be treated, don't treat people that way. Do no harm. I know Jesus says, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Can you imagine if that had happened in the first century? Can you imagine if it happened in our day? Because if, if we're honest, if we just look back honestly, 2020, 2021, 2022, in a lot of ways, both in our culture and even in the church, it was an exercise in disobedience of the golden rule right? Can I just tell you, things that I heard out loud said to me or I saw on my feed from people who named the name of Jesus. Wait, you, wait a second, you're, you're not getting that vaccine, Chase? Do you, do you not care about old people at all? Do you just want old people to die? Wait a second, Chase, you're, you're getting the vaccine? What I mean, what are you, some kind of baby killer? An event that causes racial tension happens and, and you hear or see, wait, you're not responding to this the same way I'm responding to this in anger and frustration and mad. You must be some sort of racist pig. Well, wait, wait, Chase, you think racism still exists in America? What are you, the woke mob? Yes, that, that's me. <laughs> And I wonder what it would look like just to have higher thoughts of people, even people you disagree with. Well, I think they're wrong, but maybe there's a reason they've come to that conclusion that I don't understand. Maybe I don't know their history. Maybe I don't know why they're processing things that way. But maybe instead of judging them by their worst actions in my mind, I would judge them like I judge myself, that maybe their motives are better. Maybe I would bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. 
No, 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 Chase, there's one way to see the world, and I want to see the world the way Jesus did. Well, I think that's a great idea. Jesus looked at the world, and he said, I want to die for them. He looked at Central Asia, he looked at Central Africa, he looked at Central America, and he even looked at Central Texas. That guy, that lady, I want to give my life for them. Yes and amen. Let's look at the world the way Jesus does. See, the the brass tacks of the golden rule is that Jesus is saying, you can't separate your relationship with God from your interaction with other people. If you are my people, if you know God, it'll change the way you treat people. No, 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 I like the silver roll, I like the golden, or the, the wooden rule better, Chase, and here's the reality, right? If somebody does something bad, something bad's gonna come to them, that's just the way life works. That's a fine way to think, but that's Buddhism, not Christianity. That's karmic thinking, right? I know you hear that and you go, come on, Chase, I'm not Buddhist, the only fat, bald guy in my house is my husband, right? But really, that is the way of Buddhism. That's just not the way of Christ. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so he says, treat others the way you want to be treated. I I think there are three reasons that we struggle with the golden rule. And one is to change people. The other is a clinging to luxury. And the third is a struggle to not be full of ourselves. See, we see people in brokenness and we want to change them. And You need to hear me. Scripture calls us to shepherd people. Scripture calls us to speak the truth in love. Scripture calls us to be a voice of wisdom, right? You see somebody running into traffic, you tell them stop. But we think, I just want to change those people without loving those people. And Jesus changes people through loving people, and he calls us to love people. We struggle because we want to change people. And God needs to change us. We struggle to obey the golden rule because we like luxury. We like clinging to things. We like holding on to the life that we have, no matter what language you preach it in. Dying to self for the sake of others is not a popular way of thinking. You're not going to find it on the wide road. And then third, we struggle because we are full of ourselves, and you can't simultaneously be full of love for God and others and be full of yourself. So Jesus is calling us to something we can't do. If you look at the golden rule and think, yeah, I can do that, I'm going to tell you, no, it's impossible. It takes a work of the Spirit. Jesus knew it. He's telling these people before they even understand it, you're going to need me. And Matthew's readers looking through the lens of the resurrection know that this is only possible through a work of the Spirit. And that's what we need to know too. You can't muster it up, but you can do this. You can go, oh my goodness, what manner of love has the Father given to us that we might be called the children of God. And as the children of God, we live as transformed people who want to see the world transformed by the love of Christ. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He loves them and he loves people. He says, whatever you wish others would do to you, you do this to them. And then he says, enter by the narrow way. Enter by the narrow way. Now that might sound foreign to us. It might sound difficult to us. But to people who are living in Second Temple Judaism, it would be something very familiar with them. Second Temple Judaism being the time before and leading up to the time of Christ because these people were studying the law. And so they would hear things like the narrow way and life and death often. In Deuteronomy 30, 15, Moses is about to die The children of Israel are about to go into the promised land and he's preaching this sermon to them and he says, I've set before you today life and death, good and evil, blessings and curses. And then he says, choose life that you may live. A generation later, Joshua is going to say to people after Israel has conquered Canaan, hey, if it seems good to you to follow the gods of the pagans, you go right ahead. But as for me and my house, we are going to follow the Lord. Right? Psalm 1 speaks of these two men. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who doesn't Stand in the, or doesn't walk in the way of the sinner, stand in the path of the scoffer, or sit in the seat of the mocker, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates both the day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season. Whatever it does, it prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like wind or chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked won't stand in the assembly of the righteous. He says, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So they would hear about life and death, righteousness and wickedness, these two things juxtaposed against one another. And so Jesus then says, enter by the narrow way. Enter by the narrow way, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, or in the Greek, perdition. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now here's the the difficulty. Right? The, The sign on the wide road says heaven this way, right? The sign on the wide road says, heaven this way. We think of the wide road and we think, oh, that's what other people are on, right? Not me. And hear me, yes, Jesus is the only way. That's actually the message that we're preaching today, right? All roads don't lead to God. There are people who would say Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, all these roads will lead you to God. Well, we, we actually don't function in life that way. If you're going to England, don't get on I-10 and head west. It won't take you there. Right? If you're headed to Phoenix, you do not want to go to Galveston and get on a carnival cruise. It will not get you to Arizona. See, all roads don't lead to God. Only one does, and that road is the road where you find Jesus. But people on the wide road think they're going to heaven too. There's this deception There's this deception. See, on the wide road, you can find religious people. 
You can find people searching after happiness who think they found it. You can find good moral people, but what you're not going to find is Jesus Christ as Lord. So you only find Him on the narrow road. You pull up your Google Maps, you get real confused. You type in wide road, it'll say heaven, but it won't lead you there. How do I know which road that I'm on? It's a decision of surrender and it's surrender to Jesus. How do you distinguish the wide road and the narrow road? The narrow road is the road that leads you to Christ. It's a road that leads you to Christ. I I heard a a lady talking about this, read a little bit about what she said on it, and I thought it was really, really helpful, and it was a a really good word for a lot of men listening today, but also a really hard word for a lot of men listening today. There's a lady named Nancy Piercy. A a couple decades ago, she wrote a book called Total Truth, really uh, grew in popularity, great author and thinker. And Nancy Piercy heard what culture is saying about Christian men. And she just said, I didn't believe it. Culture is saying that Christian men are awful. Christian men are horrible. Uh, Christian marriages aren't happy. And so she researched it. And she actually did a study, hired people to do a study. And in this study, she explains what they found out and how they found out. She said in evangelical marriages where people are both walking with Jesus, that the ladies in those marriages report that 72% of them are happy in their marriage. They love their husbands. Things are going really, really well. And she said, that just blows the cultural numbers out of the water. And she said, let me be clear. We made the husbands leave when we asked these ladies these questions. And 72% said, no, I'm in a great marriage. I'm in a happy marriage. So she said to ignore the fact that evangelical marriages where people are in Christ together are the happiest marriages in our culture. You've got to ignore the social sciences. She said, however, there's one thing we did. We made a separation. We said, well, when we're talking about an evangelical marriage, we're talking about where this man is loving his family well. This man is leading his home to be part of the people of God. They're engaged in the church. He's praying with his wife. He's studying the scripture. He's engaged with his kids, helping them to know Christ. He's serving. And then we separated out men who, maybe they show up for church, but they're not leading the way. They're really not engaged in prayer. They're not in the word. They're not in community. And then Nancy Piercy said this. She said they're nominal Christians. You know what nominal means. In name only so I just want to ask you men which of those would describe you are are you someone who's walking with Jesus who's been transformed by his power not that you're living it perfect but you're being shaped into the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit Or did you maybe walk an aisle and sign a card and say some words, kind of a prayer that was like a rabbit's foot, and you thought, check, I'm in. And you just kind of go through the motions. Could it it be that you're on the wide road? The wide road leads to destruction. The narrow road leads to Christ. It's the only way to life. Now, hear me, I think... I think for men and women alike, if if we're on the narrow road, there's still going to be this tension. Man, I mess up all the time. I've got to come to Christ, repent, ask for Him to change me, ask for the Spirit to renew my mind, ask for the Spirit to change the way I love and serve. 
But are you just content walking on the wide road? It's, it's a decision of surrender. Jonathan Pennington, who's got a, this great commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says this, he says, the distinction made here depends on the same internal versus external righteousness that has marked the entirety of the sermon. The wide and easy way that leads to destruction is precisely what Jesus has been describing all along as living with merely external righteousness. While the narrow and difficult way is the vision that Jesus has cast for righteousness that's more and deeper than behavior. It's a work that only Jesus can do in people. It's a decision of surrender. Which road are you on? Which road are you on? Wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life. But my goodness, it's worth it. It's worth it. He says, few are those who find life. Many are those who find destruction. Well, how do you know if you're part of the few or the many? Well, even hearing this gives us pause. We go, this just sounds so exclusive. And what we tend to do is we go, I have a problem with this narrow road. I have a problem with this narrow way. And we think it's that you have a problem with the church. You have the problem with narrow-minded people. But make no mistake about it. If you've got a problem with Jesus being the only way, your problem is with Jesus. You have to reckon with Him. Because He says, I'm the only way and he made a way through his death and his resurrection listen if you can find god through buddha or muhammad or hinduism or any other way of good works jesus dying for your sins and mine is a really bad idea us saying to people like ashley Butte, hey go to japan with the gospel awful idea People who've risked their lives and died for the sake of the gospel. Awful idea. No, narrow is the way and few are those who find it. John John Piper says saving faith doesn't embrace Jesus as deliverer and then stiff arm him as treasure. There are only a few. And we struggle with the idea of there being a narrow way and few who find it because we read culture more than we read Christ. We listen to what the world says more than we listen to what the Word says. And we sure haven't read Isaiah 6 in a long, long time. Where we get a vision of the holiness of God that makes us put our hand over our mouth and just say, woe is me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And I've seen the Lord. Few are those who find it, but my gosh, it is the road that leads to life, and the few are a community. It's a community of people who find it. It's not a big community, but it's a beautiful community. And and it's a hard way, but it's worth it. It's valuable. I found a hard way a couple of weeks ago. We went to see our daughter and son-in-law, Maddie and Danner. They live about 30 minutes north of Boston. And, uh, And my wife, about... Three months before we left, we knew we were going. She goes, hey, it would be pretty cool to see a Red Sox game at Fenway. And I said, honey, you've heard from the Lord. (laughs) 
So we go, we'll come to find out the Red Sox are playing the Rangers, which is great for us because we're Astros fans. And so to watch the Rangers get upset, as we did July 6th, was a beautiful thing for us. Y'all pray for me, Rangers fans. Listen. We took a commuter train into Boston from where they live in Hamilton, about 30 minutes north, because we did not want to deal with traffic in Boston, traffic after the game. It's cheap transportation. And our family's so big, we can't fit in one car. So we're going to have to take two cars. Parking is $50 at Fenway Park. That sounded like a bad idea to me. So we take the commuter train in, seeing all these cities, kids getting ride train for the first time. It's fun. We have a great time going through Freedom Trail. We go to Fenway, and then we leave a little bit early because we want to give ourselves plenty of time. Got to ride a subway across town to get back to the commuter train that will lead us home. So we get on the subway, and when we first get on it, we don't realize we are on the wide road. But with every stop, more and more people get on it. So many people get on it, they shut the train down. It's too crowded. The road is too wide and it is leading nowhere. So we get on another train and guess what happened there? More and more and more people get on it. They shut it down as well. We have 17 minutes to go seven-tenths of a mile in a city that we don't know how to navigate. And we can either wait for another train that's going to do the same thing or we can run to the commuter train or we could get two ubers again i bought two hot dogs at fenway park so i'd already spent 150 dollars i didn't want to spend 150 more so we start running through downtown boston in the middle of the night following our map and you know what there were not many people on that road (laughs) People were not clamoring to run through downtown Boston in the dark. But we got on that train with four minutes to spare, and we're riding back, and it's just the best thing in the world. And one of my kids goes, this is my favorite part of the trip. (laughs) And I'm going, zero out of zero stars. Do not recommend. Listen, hard is the way, and you might find yourself on this narrow road going, my gosh, I never imagined that I was going to spend my Thursday nights with Linda Strom in prison, seeing people come to Jesus there, but man, there's no better way for me to spend my Thursdays. Uh, Tuesday nights, I am so tired when I get done with work, but I just can't help go to small group because that's where I find life. As I walked in a house this week and I was just blown away because there's like kids everywhere and it's just awesome, right? It's not my house. No, uh, we love kids, but I just remembered I was having kind of these nightmares of days when I couldn't sleep. But there's just so much joy in this house because the family said, yeah, we've got time to foster this little person who needs help for a few months. And there's just joy flowing out of that house. You won't find many houses like that. But when you do, you go, that's where Jesus is. That's where life is. If if that's not appealing to you, it might just be on the wide road. But the reality is it's the only road that leads to life. It's the road that Christ is on. If you go, no, 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 I want to live my life on the road to happiness, the truth is you won't find ultimate happiness. 
But if your cry is whatever road Jesus is on, that's the road I want to be on. That's what's going to give purpose and meaning to life. That's where you'll find joy. And it's true all over the world. People don't realize it. There's a guy named Narendra Modi. Narendra Modi is the prime minister of India. And Narendra Modi is a Hindu fundamentalist. And so Narendra Modi says, really the, what India needs to get back to is Hinduism. So he's kicked out hundreds, maybe thousands of Christian missionaries. And not really doing the math that India has been doing Hinduism well for hundreds, thousands of years, and it's not going well. 44% of the, the ultra-poor live under the reign of Hinduism. Overwhelming numbers of illiteracy and poverty. Well, there's a, a Hindu author, not a believer, but he, He's calling out Modi and he's saying he's wrong and he says this, he says, most of the good works that have been done in my country, most of the help that has come, most of the justice that's been done for the vulnerable in my country has been done by Christian missionaries. See, this narrow road gives life and it's a decision of community. It's not just a decision of surrender community because he says broad and narrow and he says many or few then he says are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death Jesus really brings this to a point he's reminding these readers what they all believe the end is going to come Jesus is going to set all things right and what he's telling them that day and what he would say to us on this day is if you live for today instead of living for the day, you're going to find yourself on a wide road that leads to destruction. It's a pointed reminder that we cannot relate to God based on external behavior alone. This is a truth that has impacted every generation, not just the scribes and the Pharisees. It's a truth that speaks to us today. See, the narrow road is this road that Jesus is on where he has been our example and our substitute. He's given himself up for the sake of others to honor the Father, and he calls us to do the same thing, to die to ourselves that we might find life loving others. Narrow is a way that leads to life. It's just a narrow way, and it's a way of surrender and community and mission. We don't value these things arbitrarily. We value these things because they lead us to Jesus. They make us know Him more and walk in His ways. Narrow is the way that leads to life. There's a, a story you've heard us tell before, and you'll hear us tell again. C.S. Lewis wrote it, and it's in the silver chair. There's a little girl named Jill Pole, and Jill Pole is, is traveling with her companion Eustace, and Jill and Eustace get separated from one another. And Jill's trying to find him, but she can't find him, and Jill gets thirsty, and she doesn't have any water, and she's getting a bit more thirsty and a bit more thirsty, and all of a sudden as she's walking looking for Eustace, she can hear water flowing. And so she goes toward the sound, and it gets louder and louder, and finally she sees a stream, and there's a, a meadow before the stream, and she's walking through this tall grass, and she, her mouth is just parched, she's ready, and she stops dead in her tracks when she sees 
this very mature lion standing there, Aslan, and she's scared to death. I'm so thirsty, I want water in my mouth, but if I go near him, that lion will put me in his mouth. I can't go. And Aslan says, if you're thirsty, come and drink. And she's scared to death, and she's still. So he says it again, if you're thirsty, come and drink. And she says, will you promise that you won't eat me? And Aslan says, I make no such promise. But if you're thirsty, come and drink. And Jill weighs it out. She feels like she's ten times thirstier hearing the river, but there's this lion. And so Jill says, no, I I think I'll go to another place. I think I'll find another stream. And Aslan says, there is no other stream. There is no other stream. See, there is no other way to life except through Jesus Christ. And he says, if you're thirsty, come and drink and I'll give you living water. And the scripture says that those who follow him, he's going to give to us to drink from the water of life and the new heavens and the new earth. The road is narrow, the way is hard, but it leads to life and it's the only road that leads to life because it leads us to Jesus who lived and died and rose from the dead. So I just wonder as we walk away from this place, maybe our prayer would be as believers, God in every interaction this week, I need your spirit's power, would you help me in my home, in my place of work, in my neighborhood? talking to my brothers and sisters, my parents, my children, extended family. God, would you help me to treat others the way I wish they'd treat me? God, would you give me power to do that? I can't do it on my own. I need your Holy Spirit's help. And, and maybe your prayer would be, Jesus, whatever road leads me to you, that's the road I want to be on. And maybe today for the first time, that road would be life for you. It's full and free as you give yourself to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you. You are the way. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around a narrow gate, but it's the gate that leads to life, to eternal salvation, to abundant life, to joy that can't be taken and hope that can't be removed treasure that thieves can't break in and steal and moths and rust can't destroy life with you forever so father would you empower us would you help us would you give us hearts of confession that want to turn to you rely on your spirit's power to treat others the way we want to be treated God, wouldn't the world be such a beautiful place if we followed you in that command? We pray you would empower us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.